You are listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists by a machinist. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Protein Machining, and this week I'm happy to welcome, you might know him as Tom Machinist. Welcome, Tom. Hey, Dylan. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? Pretty good, yeah. Well, thank you for joining me. For those who maybe haven't seen you online, who are you? What do you do? Where can they find you? So I'm Tom Machinist. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Tom Machinist. I also have my side business, which is Prestige Precision Parts, and you can find on Instagram at P3Tech. Um, awesome. Well, so let's get into your day job. You know, what exactly do you do? So I'm a fabricator, welder by trade, and I slide on the ditch of machining like a few years ago. <laughs> uh, Working on a, on a little shop that we are doing fabrication of luxury furniture and kind of like luxury architectures, like doors, railings, and stuff like that, mm, which most of the things are actually made from brass or bronze. We do not so much of steel or stainless steel. Yeah, it's always really interesting. I think that you probably do the most brass of anybody that I talk to on Instagram. I mean, I, I do it here and there, but like, it seems like 99% of the stuff that you've been machining has been brass. Yeah, that's that's just how it is. That's just how it goes. Because the most of the finished products that we do are actually patina. So that's doing patina, you might end up with like 99 different shades of what you want. And you still get the the texture and the finesse of the metal, unlike any paint or anything like that, which just covers everything. So, and it's, yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool stuff that we are doing. Definitely not the kind of machining you expect to see. We actually don't, we don't do machining for clients. We only do machining for in-house needs. So anything you see that I'm machining is just for our own use, basically supporting the the guys in the fabrication. So making things easier for them, faster, more accurate, uh, makes everybody happy. So yeah, definitely. Let's get into your backstory. You know, how did you end up doing this kind of you know sideways slide into machining, and how did you get into fabrication and just manufacturing in general? So I was my my dad was. A big tinkering, self-taught. It was actually it was a rig. It was a machine rigger and a crane operator, and he is always ending up finding stuff that goes to the scrap. So he just pick up stuff, tinker around, like uh, doing things around. And um, he had a small uh, Mco lathe, like a bench top lathe, the very very small one that he had there, and then it was just like messing around and. As a kid, I was like standing beside him and always looking what he was doing. If I was upstairs doing whatever, and I can hear the lathe turning on and just running downstairs and see what <laughs> he was doing. And, <laughs> and one day I ended up getting a bigger lathe, like um, I think it was like a, a 10 by 30 or 12 by 30, like pretty, pretty good size, like, like a real size, real size lathe. And then I was spending time watching him doing like pulleys and stuff like that that he needed for friends to fix something, whatever. And I don't know, I was probably like 
13 or something like that. And he said, okay, go ahead. Now, now it's your turn. You can do whatever you want. I'm watching you. You've spent enough time watching me doing things. So you know it goes. You know the danger of the machine. So just, just have fun with it. And I was never using the lathe when it was on the round just for safety. But I was just messing around. And I find it pretty cool. And also, it started to teach me how to do stick welding because stick welding is super cheap to learn, basically. So, and I think it's easier to start to learn stick welding when you want to learn welding. So right. I start to do that too. And um, I'm, I'm, I wasn't a great fan of school, like education at all. Um, even got to mention also that I'm from France. I'm not from the US, I guess you... Everybody has heard it already. (laughs) (laughs) So definitely not like in the US. But the only thing that I wanted basically just get out of school and do something with my hands. So at some point, I just realized that I need to find something that I want to do. And I was thinking about being a machinist. And my dad said, because of his job, he was seeing machinists like on a daily basis when he was bringing new machines, like moving machines out and everything. And he said, oh, you know what? You know, machinist, you will be standing a full day in front of your machine, loading parts, unloading parts. That doesn't sound like cool at all or fun. You will just be an operator. And <laughs> I guess it was a big misconception of, of this trade, probably. So I ended up going on a fabrication welding, which is... Like in France, it's splitted. It's just like you can either be fabricator when you do anything that is attached to construction. That's one side of the job. And so basically it's working with bars. And the other side, which is kind of another trade, is like sheet metal, where you call here more like boiler maker. It's okay. kind of split yeah, yeah. this way. So the way that I choose is more architectural, ornamental, Anything that is attached to the house, gates, windows, doors, railings, anything, stairs. So you say if you if you go this way, then you will be able to be in the shop fabricating, but you can go on the job site to install your stuff. You can go take dimensions and everything. So that's that's what I ended up going. So I started before I was sixteen, two years apprenticeship which was basically six weeks six weeks in the shop in a regular company, just as an apprentice, and then two weeks at school, learning the trade, but also having like general class, like math, French, English, whatever they found a teacher. Um, and this lasted for two years. So it goes on and on. The good thing is uh, you get paid. But because you are not 18, you only get paid 50% of the minimum wage, which I think I was making like probably six or seven euros per hour, which, <laughs> which is... It's not bad though. I mean, for being in school. It's not bad like, because you are like 16 and you start to get a paycheck and that's that's pretty cool. And you you learn the job and everything. So So the company I was working for was pretty close to my parents. And basically, I wouldn't say the only thing I learned on this company, that, that would be a lie. But it was a lot of what you shouldn't do. So <laughs> most of I think the f- we've all had jobs like that. <laughs> most of the thing is like we go this way. It's like okay, I learned that this is not the way to go. We had no drawings. We had nothing. Basically, the boss comes, 
hands you like a post-it and, and you have three dimensions and basically you need to build a gate for a client. So every dimension, they were in centimeters, not in millimeters, which is what we use everybody elsewhere in the world. Right. So basically centimeters is good for like landscapers. <laughs> Definitely not for our trade. So there was a lot of things like that. This company was in some point also very interesting because they were doing more industrial things. And, and there was, there was a machinist over there, manual machinist and good guy. He had like for himself, probably six or seven manual lathe, one mil. And, and I told him like, Oh, my dad taught me a little bit lathe stuff and whatever. So whenever I have pieces to make that require some turning, it will let me use the machine to do the pieces but i has i had no idea about milling and he said okay if you want when you got a little bit of time come over and i can teach you how to mill parts like how to square block how to set up how to set up your vice very very basic things so i was pretty happy about that but when i reached the second year of my apprenticeship i started to get bored of all those things like like give you like a piece of paper. They say, oh, we need that for tomorrow because we are going to install it tomorrow. So you rush to do your thing and then the thing stay in the shop for like a week. Nobody goes to install it. <laughs> and you, there, there was a lot of things. And the, the accuracy of the things that we were doing in this particular company was not up to my expectations. So I, I talked to my teacher that I had on the trade school. I said, you know what? That's, that's not what I wanted. Everything is like BS. So <laughs> that's definitely not what I was expecting. So I think I would switch and I will, and I will go with going on machining. And we say, oh, you know what? You're pretty good at what you're doing when you are here. So it would be kind of a waste for you to, to quit now, like being four or five months before getting your degree. So just stick around and then you will see once you get your degree, you will see not every company are like this one. So you will find a better company. Okay. So uh, I stuck around, I got my diploma and then I ended up going to keep going on this school slash trade school, which is basically the same way they teach the same way, almost by the same people who built all the cathedrals in France, like back in the Middle Age. This is the antique school, like, and it's it's a little bit complicated to explain, but that's, I mean, that's, that's what it is. So it basically what you do after you get your diploma, you are able to go travel France, make what they call the Tour de France not like the one <laughs> you are cycling. Right. But basically every year you change city. They found a job for you on this city. And so you get a full-time day job. And after your day, you have class from 8 to 10 p.m. And every Saturday where you learn the trade. So you learn drafting, you learn so many things. You have still French, English, math. And after that, you can still get more degrees or diploma but you just take it on your own. You are not fully enrolled like in a regular school. So you just go for the exam. Basically, you just show up for the exam. So that's that's a lot of work. It sounds yeah. Like. So the thing is like on, on my class, we were like 25. Out of 25, probably 10 started this. 
And I think I was the only one to finish it like six, seven years after. So Oh, wow. And, and it's that long too? Yeah. It, it depends on how far you want to go. But if you want to complete <laughs> the whole thing, yeah, it takes like five or six years. That's that's all long you need to to be good at your job, basically to learn your job from from A to Z. You know, it's so I did that for one year. I started one year, and I ended up in a company that was much bigger than the one I was learning because we were like three or four. So right. So this one, I think we were like around seventy, which was probably twenty five guys that were only doing the install. And then everybody else was in the shop. I mean, office, like drafting and uh, and in the shop. And everything was neat because we had like real drawings, real blueprints, <laughs> full size with every details. Everything was in millimeter and everything was, and everybody was compared on, in that company. So if you didn't know anything, you ask the guy next to you, he helps you out. So I learned a lot. I said, you know what? I will stick around a little bit more. So I did my year. Then I went to another city in France. I'm still the same thing, still learning and everything. Uh, it was like, uh, we were like 10, something like that in that company. But at that point, I already have like over three years of experience. So I got better job, more interesting job and, and fully on your own because they say we pay you to do the job. So you got to do the job. If you don't know to do it, then you will get crap. If you're good at your job, then you will get interesting things to do. Right. So keep working on that uh, metal work thing, like making doors. Was going on on job site time to time, not very often, but so almost a year has passed, and I was like, ah, oh, you know what? I kind of want to try something else. I kind of want to push the boundaries and and go outside of France, see what's out there. So our trade school offers program where you can go to basically any country in the world for one year when you want it. As long as either you find yourself a job over there or they have a network of company that that knows the system and are hiring every year. So I say, okay, I want to go to Ireland. I didn't want to go to England because we, French and English, don't have like always (laughs) the best relationship. So. So I guess the English are very cliche for us. So I didn't want to go there, but Ireland sounds like pretty cool. So I say, okay, I want to go to Ireland. So they found me a job like one hour up to Dublin. And I went there and there was basically like two or three Irish in the company. Everybody else was either Polish or Lithuanian or Russian, but they were freaking good at what they were doing. We were doing only, they put me on the stainless steel side so we were doing stainless steel railings handrail balustrade banister anything it was like awesome and uh, that was 2007 2008 right when the everything crashed so in january they told me like oh tomorrow you don't come to work because we don't have enough job for you i was like oh All no right, no problem say come back i call you i call you the day after cool I waited one day, two day, three day. They don't call me back. Called the foreman, and he said, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, next week I, I can I can take you next week, but in the meantime you can go to the unemployment center, file everything, so you can get a little bit of money." I was like, "I don't really like that idea. That's not my country. I'm only here for one year, so I I don't want to take somebody else's money 
Right. If, if it's not right, then I just go back to France and, and that's it. So, and then one Polish guy he told me like, oh, if you want to walk, you have to show up. If you show up in the morning, it will give you something to do. If you don't come, then they won't, they won't call you. So I ended up walking like almost one day per week, which was just covering the rent and the pub. So, <laughs> so I called whoever was in charge of me in our trade that was actually living in England. I said, oh, you know, this is happening and uh, I think I'm kind of losing my job and I don't want to stay here. It's a waste of time. So he said, okay, shoot me your, shoot me your resume and I get back to you. So that was a Tuesday. He called me two days after. He said, okay, you start Monday in England. Oh my goodness. I was like, <laughs> all right. So not the same country, not the same currency, not the same bank, not anything like that. So I was running a room with some, some guys and I say, okay, you know what? I, this is not working and I found a job somewhere else. So I'm sorry. It's such a short notice, but I got to leave because I don't have much money left. They say, oh, sure, no problem. Just pay by the end of the week and that's it. And, and good luck to you. I was like, okay, cool. So I packed my car and I left. I had like 250 euro left. <laughs> so I packed my car and I crossed England. So I took the ferry between Ireland and England and I crossed all Ireland and I ended up in Newcastle and the northeast of England. And so the network that we had with the school there was some mechanician that were in this city that were exactly the same as me, just a different trade. So one of them host me for one week. Then I found a room and then I found I had the job already. I went over there and I was the only foreigner in that company, <laughs> unlike the previous one. Oh, wow. They never hired any foreigner. So I was the first one and everybody was speaking English, unlike the previous company. So it was like a big change for me. But they were super happy with me. They put me back into the stainless steel thing. So, which was, I was happy with that. <laughs> and uh, so that was like, I think in March or something like that, February, March. Then I did up to the end of July. I was supposed to go back to France after that. And uh, what happened is basically, I was, it was supposed to be for the trade school, sort of my final exam for. Uh, proof of your work, not exam per, uh, per diploma or anything like that, just to be up to the school standard, basically. Mm -hmm. um, what, what they call actually a masterpiece. So I was supposed to do my masterpiece to show basically my skills if I was, if I was good enough for them, <laughs> basically. Right. So uh, what does that entail? Like, what was the masterpiece? Like, what did you have to do? You can do anything you want. It has to be related to your trade and everything is outside of your day job. So you need to do uh, your design, blueprints, fabrication analysis, fabrication, almost finishing and installation if needed. Then you get judged by, by what we call the, <laughs> the engine, which are the guys from the trade that are already been there and you know, like on the pre prestigious school where the people that went to that school, they went to meet the new student. That was, that's, that's a little bit how it works and that all oh, they pass on the knowledge from the younger to the younger generation, basically. Okay. So I was supposed to do that. I was supposed to, to go to the northeast of France. And at last minute, they say, oh, you know what? There's something happened. There's a spot 
that just opened its Reunion Island. It's a small French department that is between Madagascar and Mauritius on the east of Africa. Oh my goodness. And I said, there's a spot here that opens. And if you want to go, you have to let us know because you could do your masterpiece over there next year. We need someone that we know for sure that we'll be able to do that because when at the end of the masterpiece, when we have the ceremony, there will be a lot of people coming from France. So you, you got to be sure that everything goes right. <laughs> so I, I called a friend of mine that, that was there two years prior and he said, oh, don't think about it. Just go like, just, just go. Don't think too much about it. Go there. So I said, okay, I go there. So the walk was not great at all because they, the company I was hired for, the owner was actually from my school too. So, which, which was good, but it just got a big contract to make like 300 bus stop for the island. And because it's a remote island, it's very, it's very small island. Like take your car in two and a half hours, you drove all around the island. So it's pretty oh, wow. small. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. So you have to do with what you find over there regarding for material, hardware, anything like that. So every steel that was coming was coming from China directly, and it was coming in container, but they don't put it inside the container. They put it on flats on the top of every other container on the top oh, of no. the ship. So if so it's just get, super rusty. If you get black steel, you get super dry oil and rust with the tops they put over, or you get galvanized steel. So Oof. we built everything out of galvanized steel. So I welded a lot of galvanized steel, which is cool. <laughs> yeah, that's not good for you. And because they just got this contract, we had to start everything from the beginning, like making jigs, fixture, get the machines ready. So that was cool for like two months, but then it was production. So that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't cool. Right. I, I remember in less, in less than four days, I had to make the side of this bus stop. And I was like 4,000 pounds of two millimeter galvanized steel shit that I had to plasma cut with the jig and, and drill with a hand drill to have all the holes matching. And you have oh to do that in, in less than a week. And you got right hand pieces and left hand pieces. So at that time, I was super happy that I had my masterpiece to do outside of the hours because I was more focused on that than what I was doing at work. So I ended up making a table, dining table, to fit the location we had with all the other young guys, basically. So it fitted. The requirement was to fit at least eight people. And if we have extension, up to 16 people. So that's a pretty good size table yeah that's a big one so i ended up making like an elliptical table that extension split in half you can split the, the oval in half push it left and right and then you can unfold an extension on the bottom and the legs of of the table was also an half elliptical on the bottom and another half on the top so the connection point was very very short because they were like like two basically use that touching each other on the radius. And that was on, on the two plane that was like that on, on the long side and on the short side. And everything was intersection intersecting in the middle. 
in the center of the table. And so I did all the drawings. I was able to use laser cutting. We had one or two laser cutting on the island. So I was able to send my part to laser cutting. Then I had to make jigs. I had to bend all the sheets. So everything was made from sheet metal. So I had to bend the sheet and then box everything. I ended up with like a rectangular box section. Then I stick welded everything because stick weld is slightly softer than MIG welding. So when it comes to grinding after, it's much easier to get it like really flush and perfect. And 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 the, the MIG welder was used on the other shop for the fabrication. So I couldn't only have like a small stick welder. So that was, no, that was that was fine. That was challenging. It was fine. So I spent like I don't know. I forget like one or two evenings just doing stick welding for like a few hours straight. And and then I just finished the table and and I passed I passed the exam. So it was good. So there's a, like 30-ish people from France flew over for a week. Then we had a kind of celebration and everything. Even my parents came over, which was, was cool. Yeah, that's great. So and, how long were you there total? Just one year. So okay. I did my masterpiece from, I think, October until April. So everything, like drawings, fabrication, everything, which was pretty intense because before I even started, they say, okay, everybody is coming on April 1st, so you better get done before they come over. Where usually, <laughs> if, usually if you do your masterpiece in France, they say, okay, you have up to this to do it, but you know, if it goes a little bit over, we can extend the time. But because everybody already booked their plane tickets, there's no way you could, you could extend oh, the date. So. But that was fine. And then after that, I went back to France, to Lyon, which is in the east of France, not so far from Switzerland. I was working in a big company also, and it was so big that everybody was on his own. So basically, the foreman gave you a drawing, and you're on your own. If you want to ask the guy next to you to give you a hand, say, no, I don't have time. I got to do my thing too. <laughs> so, But that was okay because I pretty had like a lot of experience under my belt at this point. So that was okay. So I did one year here, almost a full year. And, and I took, and I took an exam at the end because I couldn't take it the two years prior because I wasn't in France. So I took the exam, passed the exam. And just like a month before, before I left, there was another French guy in Vietnam that started his business and he needed some hands to, <laughs> to help him start his first project to launch his business. So he asked me and another guy that I was a few years before, if we wanted to go to Vietnam to help him say, yeah, sure, let's, let's go to Vietnam. So I went, I went to Vietnam to work for one month in July. It was, it was another world basically <laughs> because, because it's, I, it's, it still has his business from now. It's been like probably 10 years, but basically you ask the supplier, I want flat bar. I want 30 millimeter by 12 millimeter. Do you have it? Yeah. 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 yeah that's ultra world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No problem. That's ultra world. You say, okay, give me like, I don't know, like 50 meters of it. Sure. No problem. The day after show up a truck and the guy just unload a bunch of plate that was flame cut <laughs> oh flame, no the flame cut plates some of them you got like four strips side by side they were still not cut all the way 
and you just dump it in the shop and say, here's your flat ball. And, and the size was varying like plus or minus four millimeter or something like that. Oh and, no. <laughs> and now you got to forge this or bend this. So that was really something like we had like 12 millimeter square, steel square that was out roll and you need to straight it up. So you go on, on the straightening anvil and you start to hit it with your hammer and all of a sudden it feels like lead and like the thing like broke completely, <laughs> completely bends over. It's like, Oh wow, that's super soft. And you take another bar and you hit it once and it doesn't move. You hit it a little bit harder and just the square like completely broke in half and this goes <laughs> flying. I was like, okay, this one was super hard. So. Nothing wow. was consistent. It's it was very challenging. It was very interesting to see how lucky we are to get like good materials and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. So after that, I went back to France. Uh, I was working in Paris, and I was doing. I was helping the school to basically update all the training material, all the courses, and everything. Everything was basically old school. So everything went through the computer with new color image and everything. Everything was downloadable <laughs> online and so on. So I did that for one year. I think I did like, it was probably like 10 weeks on a year or something like that. But they kept me busy also on weekends because we got stuff to do for that on weekends. And then I, I was working in a, a, in a company there full time, which was doing like very fine architectural metal work, a little bit of brass. We were doing very nice shower doors, uh, fine windows. Everything was basically custom. There's nothing out of a catalog that you can pick. So it was pretty interesting. And at this point, I was finishing my training with that school. And I was like, huh, it's kind of a little bit sad because I only get two degrees and kind of feel I could I could learn a little bit more because I... I learned fabrication, I learned how to make blueprints, how to design things, but I kind of feel like I could do more. And the school I was had a program for people that basically finished the school to be project manager, to to learn how to be project manager. So I was like, I, I told my boss, you know what, I, I don't mind staying working for you, but I kind of want to do that program. I was like, okay, let, let's see how much how much it would cost and what is going on. So ended up it didn't cost him anything because um, because you pay on your paycheck, there is, there is money that is taken for training and everything like that on everybody. So if you apply and you get everything right, the training is kind of free. So Oh, wow. That's that amazing. Was, yeah, that was like a two years training. So we had, I think, 12 sessions of two weeks, something like that. So... Basically, I was out a week or two weeks every two months, which is not too bad for a company if it's scheduled correctly for the job. So I started to work in the office doing drafting uh, and, and blueprints for the, for the guys in the shop. And, and then little by little, it pushed me to get to be a project manager, going on little jobs, taking over him, going with him at first. Then, then he talked to the architect to say, okay, this is my guy. He's on training. He knows, he knows his job, but he's on training and still supervising. And I stayed there uh, five years, I think I did. So I got, I got my degree as project manager junior, what they call. So you are not fully a project manager, but you know everything. You have everything in hands to be a project manager. 
So I did five years here. We had the, the last project I did was a massive, a massive chalet in uh, Switzerland, in uh, Kstadt, where all the fancy people goes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so very nice job, like five-story chalet. We did, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 32 shower doors or something like that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they had like a spa, a spa room, solar room. They had an indoor pool, which was, I think, two-story below grade. There was an indoor, <laughs> indoor, spool, indoor pool, which had like four or five fake windows. The, the windows were real, but the, they painted like landscaping behind the windows. So, And oh with the lighting, goodness. you could feel that you were actually almost outside. Which How was cool. oh, it was super cool, and and after that, I um so in between, I met my wife, which happened to have a U.S. residency. So we got married, and I got I applied for U.S. residency. I got a green card, and then I went to speak with one guy that did the same school as I did, and was actually in the U.S. for almost thirty years. I say, oh, you, by the way, you guys are hiring or what and say yeah sure because i would kind of look for a job like in a few years whenever i get my my residency approved yeah sure no problem come over and i was still working that place in paris until i get my uh, my green card and then i went over there and say what do you want to do you want to do project manager you want to do railings you want to say you know what i have no idea i just want to walk in the shop see all things are running here because I got to learn how to use inches because I've never heard about that thing before. <laughs> so I want to see all things are running and then we go from there. And they just, when I was hired, they just got a big job in New York to make, I forgot how many windows, but the, the building was landmark, which basically means anything you take off the exterior of the building has to be replaced as identical. So there were single pane windows that need to be replaced with double pane windows, but they were bronze windows, so they had to be the same. So they order, I think, 15,000 pounds of uh, bronze extrusion, <laughs> which is in metric is like seven or eight tons of bronze extrusion. And that was for the whole job. And I worked on this job for like 18 months, just making windows for one single, <laughs> for one single home. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And and what happened, they, they have a machinist, they have a manual machinist over there. And just when I was hired in 2016, they just got delivered a, a Haas VF4SS, which they actually purchased to machine all the hardware for this window, because even the hardware has to match the existing one. Wow. So, and, and they rented another location across the street, another building to put that machine on and, and to have the finishing there because it was too small on the main shop. And they had that VF4 SS running on the generator for like two months outside because, <laughs> because the, the, the power supply company was not able to provide the three phase fast enough and they needed the machine to be running. So it was running on the generator for like two months. That oh, sounds geez. like a, a lot like a deja vu for some people on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Drew. <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. So then how did you get started machining there? I mean, obviously, they hired you as a fabricator. And yeah, so, so how did you slide into that? So I was I was doing 
my windows and, and we needed hardware. We needed small things here and there for the locks, for whatever. Uh, and they had one bridge port in the shop. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to quickly do that. And and we had a lot of notches to make on those extrusion, bronze extrusion to assemble the windows. So we had custom bits that they were made, but I was, I was meaning that. And, uh, and basically the, the machinists were kind of like slammed. They couldn't keep up with what we needed for this job. So some profile I was supposed to make, I just like do sketchy setup and I did them on the bridge port and then we cut them off at the length that we need to make the hardwares and stuff like that. And then the boss realized, I said, I didn't know you knew, you knew machining. It's like, I wouldn't say I know machining. I just like know basic stuff. <laughs> that That's it. What was weird is basically the manual machinist didn't know how to program the VF4SS. Um, we had one guy that was doing blueprints. He didn't know how to program a machine. So basically we had the machine, but no programmer. So oh, they, no. they were struggling to make any parts because the machinist know what he wanted to do, but he had no idea how to use the software. So he has to be another guy that was like, they were both sitting on the break room for like half a day trying to make programs and everything. So they, they did a little bit, they did a little bit of the hardware. And, uh, and, and that guy that was doing the programming, which is now the manager, he comes to me and I say, do you want, we've seen you, you've been doing manual machining. Would, would you be interested, interesting on doing programming for the CNC? I was like, I don't know, never heard about that. I don't know that works. And, you know, I, I know AutoCAD on 2D. There's no problem with that. But, like, I don't know to program a machine. And just I will do some research and get back to you. He said, you know, we just go to court for, um, uh, we just go to court for um, Mastercam for, for the machine. So it's $30,000 for Mastercam and $30,000 for the training. So if, if you want, we can just jump on it and we send you on training. And I thought about it and say, I get back to him and say, you know what? I'm not really comfortable you spending 60 grand on me for something that I don't even know if I can do it or. Or want to do it. Yeah. Or if I will like it because after that, I will get stuck doing that. I was like, okay, I understand. I was like, but I want to do more research and everything. So I went on YouTube and I stopped to look at things. I ended up seeing a video of this old Tony where he was playing with his CNC router and he said, oh, I'm using Fusion 360 and this is free and you can make programs for your machine and everything. So I ended up on that rabbit hole. I, I looked at it. I download Fusion 360 and I made just like a random 3D model and, and I went to like looking to make a toolpath. So I have no idea what kind of toolpath I did, but it was, it was a toolpath. And um, I went to post and I select has vertical machines and I click post. And then I, I got a bunch of G codes and everything. I was like, all right, I, I think that's what the machine needs. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to check what it does. So the day after I went to the machinist and I said, okay, I, I did that. The block is that size, that size. Uh, and, and the end meal is like a quarter of an inch. And I just want to check if this thing will be running. So it throw it on the machine. It, it puts on the, the origin of the part and, and just press cycle start and like make sure everything was okay. 
And then the machine spent like 25 minutes making a block that was like two inch by three inch. <laughs> <laughs> Super slow. But basically I took the part of the machine and said, that's pretty much looks like what was in the computer. So I kind of guess all the machine is working. You got to tell the computer what you want to do and the machine will do it more or less. So, and then I went back to the manager and said, okay, I did that and it seems to be okay. And I was like, okay, that's cool. So he said, do you think your program could do something like that? And then he started to show me like the start of a scroll that had, that had a small channel over it going, like wrapping around the scroll. It was just like a basic 2.5D geometry. I said, oh, I've seen we can import DXF files so I can, I can try to, to look at this. And I did that. I did a sample piece, short piece. I said, okay, that's cool. Can you do like 25 scrolls like this, like both hands and like flip it over? I was like, okay, I can try. So I did and it worked. And, and basically that thought it begin. But when I was using the machine, I said, you know what? I think it's pretty hard to program a machine and I have no idea what the machine is doing. Like for me to understand, I also need to use the machine. So I see what is wrong and I see what I need to change. So for me, it makes more sense to, to do both the programming and the machining. I was like, okay, whatever. So you can do, <laughs> you can do machining like one day per week because you still have fabrication work to do. I was like, okay, fine. And at one day become two days, become three days. And now it's, it's full time. So that's, that's amazing. That, that's so cool. I had no idea that you were literally self-taught I yeah mean. like like 100 percent, and and i start to get things like a little bit more complicated and like set up so i wouldn't say the parts were perfect they're probably <laughs> no tolerance at all because basically we don't need tolerance because it's all for our own use so as long as it gets the job done that's fine we don't ship out parts so we don't have to comply with anything so that's okay. how it started and then i started to get things a little bit more complicated, like a little more 3D stuff. And then and then they also had this old CNC lathe that was sitting here. And at that point, I think I've been there for like two or three years and I've never seen that machine was turned on. And they say, okay, you know what? We need more room. So what do we do with this machine? Is this working? And the boss say, yeah, yeah, it was working. When, when I bought it from the auction, they said, they said it was working. But oh, no. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know what? There's a main switch. I'm just going to turn it on and see what it does. So it's a Hyundai lathe, which is the same as the, the Mazax. Basically, they, they have the same casting. And it has a Siemens control on it, which is not very often. You see those controls, especially on older machine here in the US. Right, yeah. So I turn it on and the machine goes like, I have no clue where I am, basically. And I call... A repair guy, local repair guy, he said, oh, we have this machine and it's not working and whatever. He said, okay, what's the machine? He said, it's a Siemens. And he said, what's the control? Oh, it's a... He said, what's the machine? He said, it's a Hyundai Glev. He said, what's the control? It's a Siemens. He said, oh, I don't do Siemens. I was like, oh, okay, do you know anybody that do Siemens? He said, I know someone and I will, I will text you his number. So he texts me a number. I, I don't know the guy at all. I call the guy. And they say, okay, I have this machine and this is doing that, that, that. And the screen is like, I say, oh, yeah, okay, you lost your parameters because the battery were dead. I was like, okay, so how do I replace the battery? You say, well, you need to buy new batteries. You need to install them. And then I will guide you through the procedure to basically get your machine back up and running. It's going to take 10 minutes. We can do over the phone. I was like, oh, okay. But wow. I'm like, 
okay. So he started to say, okay, do that and go on that money and press that soft key. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, what is a soft key? <laughs> and the guy is like, seriously? He's like, can you give me the operator? And I was like, there is no operator. Like, you're, I'm the only guy you will be able to speak with because right, I've never exactly. used that machine. And the guy was like, okay. So it took us like 45 minutes. The guy was super patient. It took us 45 minutes, but we got the machine back on its feet. And I was like, okay, that's cool. So he said, keep in mind, you got to replace your battery every year when the machine is on. Right, yeah, don't Otherwise, make that mistake. <laughs> it will happen again. So, and at this point I say, okay, we have this machine, so that's pretty cool. We can turn parts and we just don't have any tooling for it. So I say, let's buy like a, a set of Charles tool holder and then we will see what we can do. Because I told him like Fusion can do turning too. But what I didn't know is Fusion didn't have any post-processor for an 840C. They have for the 840D, which is not the same. So they didn't right. have anything. So I tried to look it up online and ended up finding someone that had the same life, that had a little bit of piece of things of post-processor that were kind of working-ish. So I put it on the machine. I started, I wanted to do threads, but it didn't do the threads that I wanted. So I always have to and edit all the codes to try to do like a very simple thing, which was pretty much annoying. And a few years later, a guy, Pat, which is in Sweden, he actually was just at the beginning of COVID. He helped me to build the processor for that machine. So we were doing our thing on the chat and we were testing what the machine was doing and it was editing live the post-processor because he had, he had this, he had lathe that was using Siemens pretty close to this one. So he did his own post-processor. So he helped me out to do this one and it was it's pretty much like perfect now, which is cool because now I'm able to turn much more cooler parts right. and do threads yeah. and, and do tapping and all that stuff. That's awesome. It's, so that's that's how I ended up in the rabbit hole, basically. Okay. Well, so you brought up, you said that you basically do machining all the time now. New Do- Dublin Ship Fittings asked, do you miss fabrication or does machining scratch that itch? I still have one foot on the fabrication and one foot of the machining because to machine the parts that we need, I need to understand what the fabrication needs. So... And I'm actually like now I'm still doing a little bit of fabrication. I just don't do much welding, <laughs> but basically it's still fabrication. And I think for me, going back to when I was apprentice, it's a good segment that I actually ended up, unfortunately, I mean, at least out of my control, ended up doing machining when I actually wanted to quit the trade to do machining. Yeah. That is a full circle for sure. Exactly. I never <laughs> ever planned that because I I loved my job and I also love machining and that makes a perfect combination for the segment we are, we need machining. So it's just it just ended up like that and I think it's pretty cool for me. Yeah, definitely. Goose Chase Cycles asked, What's your go to insert for roughing and finishing while turning? <laughs> for brass? I'm using so I don't do a lot of turning we just do once in a while because the machine has a pretty short z travel so it's very difficult to get everything that you want but for roughing i'm using a wnmg from colloy 
which is aluminum grade with a polished insert. And for finishing, I'm using a VC, I think it's a VCMT from Seco, which has a very small radius. So because he has a small radius, he has to be like fed very, very slowly, but I'm able to achieve very tight corners, which is most of what we need in our parts. We don't really need radiuses. So, and those are my kind of go-to, but I might, I might go through like probably two inserts per year. So I'm not a right. big, I'm not a big <laughs> client for tooling company. So. Yeah. So I thought these were great questions, both built by Hutch and Livingston Metalworks were asking about stress relieving and keeping brass straight. And I've experienced this myself where I've tried to make very flat brass parts and, you know, you take that material off wrong and that thing is going to be a banana real quick. So tips and tricks and how do you guys stress relieve and all that stuff? Because you do some pretty large parts. Making bananas every day. So <laughs> so there's there's two ways that we do. If we make long bars, depends on much machining. I would say depend how much of the side of gravity I'm removing material because this is a big factor. And um, if if I have basically like a quarter of an inch to remove from a flat bar, I will do one eight and one eight. Uh, having like a lot of vices on the machine helps me to keep this straight. Even when I flip it, that's that's the good thing. But once you finish, it's pretty much not too bad. Still have to straight it up. If if it's just a groove all along, I'm not going to anneal it. I will just machine it, let it bend. But when I shift my pieces, when I shift my bar on the vices, I make sure that the part that I already machined is no more than one inch or two inch inside the last vice. So if it bows up or down, I just let it bow up or down, and then I just clamp everything else. If you want to put it back in the middle of the machine, you will never be able to get it flat again. So I'm just leaving everything that is already machined outside of the vise, and then I keep going. Once it's done, then then we go to the horizontal press and we just press it and try to straight it up as much as we can. If the parts has a lot more machining, we could do annealing prior to machining on long bars. We have like two uh, thick steel, like inch and a half plate steel so we lay them out and we take the big acetylene torch or propane torch, oxypropane torch, and we anneal the bar just before it comes like light red because brass, you can't really see the color. But once you get used to it, it's fine. So this will anneal the brass. So the formation after the machining will be probably divided by two or three. It will still not come out perfect, but it will still be better but because you anneal it you also make it much more softer so that's something you need to take in consideration if you just make like a like molding or trims or stuff like that that has no mechanical uh, needs you're fine but if you want to make hinges and you anneal it too soft you might end up having hinges that are actually sagging or just wearing out too fast so it's it's a little difficult so what if 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 the parts like the hinges uh that are two or three leaves that hang uh, into each other uh i i do the heat treatment on the oven 550 degrees fahrenheit for 30 45 minutes depends on on the size of the block just make sure everything is soaked in and that actually helps a lot 
if I can't do that, then what I will do will basically rough out the parts, then straight it back on the press, then put it back on the machine and then finish to machine it, which I need to make sure I got enough material left to get back on size. And that works pretty, pretty good, I see. Um, for the last part that we made, we actually anneal it like way, way, way higher because we were going to do so a lot of silver brazing on it. So we wanted to anticipate the deformation we would get through that. It ended up working okay. We still have like a lot of distortion, but pretty much way less than if we didn't anneal it at all. So yeah, working with brass seems like cutting butter. But <laughs> Yeah, it's butter that moves quite a yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. So it's when your machine, when you need to machine like a 70, 80 inches long part and your machine has only 47 inches of travel, you always need to end it up like shifting your material and, <laughs> and starting over. And I got to say, I got pretty good at that now. I got my recipe dialed, dialed in. And most of the time, actually, I don't actually mind if, if the brass is is anneal or not because i know i can kind of nail it the way the way i install my stock on the vices that kind of helps me some of the guy in the fab shop they like to anneal their bar even after i machine it just to be easier to straight it up because when you end up with a profile that looks like a triangle it's very difficult to straight up you cannot really hit it with a hammer because you will leave marks you cannot really put it on the horizontal press because you don't have parallel surface that you can push. So sometimes, yeah, just the big torch and, and it's just go. <laughs> That's great. So something we haven't talked about yet is that you started your own business. Precision Mechanics asked, what's the, what has been the biggest challenge when starting your own business? And how's the home shop and what's coming next there? And then also Tux Garage asked, where do you find your customers? So let's get into your own business. So I started my own business last year because I people ask on Instagram, people were asking me like, oh, can you do this part in brass for me? Can you do that? And it was kind of, yeah, sure, I could do that. Just I'm going to ask the boss if it's okay, if I can come on weekends to use the machine. Boss is fine. And then for the bigger stuff, I wanted to give them to my day job. But the thing is, the project we are doing sometimes the lasts like two months, four months, two years. So we are in a job shop. We don't turn around codes on the same day. So sometimes it takes a week to get a code. So basically when they ended up getting the codes, that's when they wanted the finished part in their hands. So that doesn't really work out <laughs> very well. So I was like, you know, if I start my own business, I could do something. But wait, I'm living in an apartment, so I cannot really do anything. So I said, I got to wait a little bit. So my boss always knew that I wanted to start my, my business. And two years ago, after we bought the house, by the time we get everything set up in the house, then I started my own business. And the requirement to buy the house was to get a two-car garage. That was for the real estate agent. If it wasn't a two-car garage, there was not even, there's no way I can see the, the house. It's just right. out of the way. So we found one, which is pretty good um, for, for what we need. And then I was like, okay, now I got my the house of my dreams, so now I can start my own business. I can get registered and start to get customer and, and stuff like that. So the difficult part to start your business, I think, is you got to keep in mind that this is not 
the country I grew up with. Like when you grew up here, you know how things works because you heard people, you know it is. But when you've been here like six years, you always have things to learn, to discover the hard way sometimes. So the, I think the one kind of challenge was like finding a CPA that you could trust. You just don't work to anyone and say, I want to start my own business. You never know how you end up, where you end up. So I found a good one from a friend, which works okay. I got no problem. And just say like, oh, just get QuickBooks, get your thing started. And then like, put your expenses and do your thing. And then I will log in once in a while and make sure you don't, you don't mess up everything. And <laughs> that was, I wouldn't say it was hard to start the business, but it's definitely challenging sometimes. And I still have my full-time day job. So it's really something that I do on the side. I just want to do projects that I like to do. And, and I guess the work that I'm getting from my business just come from Instagram only because I, I don't advertise, I don't do anything else. Um, and as you say, people know me to do brass. So I ended up almost doing only brass stuff. So, which I don't complain. It's, it's fine to me. But yeah, having your business sometimes is, and I'm glad it's very small. I don't take a lot of work and. At some point, I was like, I'm, I'm going to find a space. I'm going to rent a space so I can put my machines on and I can kind of three-phase and all of that. But like in New Jersey, you can find a space. It's probably going to cost like $1,500 per month. Plus, you have to add all utilities and everything. So with just a quick math in my head, it means like I need to spend all my nights and all my weekends making parts to pay the rent which is just a little bit silly for me where if I can do it in my garage, it's, it's kind of fine because if I don't have any work for two weeks straight, that's fine. The bills are still paid. So, Right. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. So what machinery do you have? So so I have a Haas Mini Mill from uh, Danny Rudolph. Hey, Danny. <laughs> but this machine, I don't have it at home because it will be a little bit too complicated to fit it at home because it's the ceiling on the home shop is pretty low. So I will need to have the riggers coming in. I will need to have some things taken off the machine, push the machine inside the shop. Then I will have to cut the ceiling to make a small box where the head could fit between the joists and then close it back again, put the insulation. Then I will need to get a bigger phase converter and I will need to run more wire, more three phase. So that adds up very quickly. Well, when I bought the machine from Danny last year, it was perfect timing for the project we were doing because we had the VF4, we had more hours, more spindle hours to do that we can fit in the time frame that we had. So when I bought the mini meal, we put it to work right away. So the VF4SS was doing the small medallions like eight and a half, nine hours per day, working by itself on the on the second building where the mini mill was on the main building. I was running the mini mill on the main building, doing all the connectors on all the other work. So that came out perfectly for me, and it also came out perfectly for my boss because we had the single the second spindle we needed. Um, and since that, my boss said, oh, do you want to take your machine home? I was like, oh, you know what? If it doesn't bother you here, I can kind of 
just leave it there. If it's fine, you say, it's fine by me. I say, okay, let's make a deal. So whenever we need to make parts, if it makes sense to make them on the mini mill, I'm just going to make them on the mini mill. If the VFO is busy and don't want to break down the setup, you say, okay, that's fine by me. Your machine can stay here. And if I need a machine, I can use the machine for myself after hours or on weekends. That's fine. And in the home shop, I have, um, I have a hard hinge DV59, which is a manual turret lathe that I got from Alton that he got from his grandfather that he bought new from Hardinge. Oh, wow. How cool. Yeah. So um, basically, I'm the second owner of this machine. <laughs> uh, I got a Victor Turum lathe, which is an Hardinge HVLH copy that I, I found on Facebook Market for a decent price for a Turum lathe, basically. Uh, then I got a Bridgeport uh, with a 48, 42 inches table, the medium size. I got an Aben mill that I got from the same guy of the lathe, but this machine is currently not working. It needs a pulley for the, for the feed. It's a, it's a big 40 taper manual mill. Very interesting design, very rigid machine. Mm. So I don't think I will do any work on this machine. I will just sell this machine because I don't have enough time to take care of this machine. The bridge port needs a little bit of work, probably needs the, the bushing to be replaced on the head. Uh, I have a, a Johnson Shipman surface grinder, very old too, that needs a, a full rebuild. What else do I have? I have a, a small welding table, like welding fixturing table. I have a TIG welder too, which for New Dublin, that's how I keep my feet in the welding and fabrication. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And then I have a, I have a lot of metrology equipment too. Yeah, that's pretty much what I have. So that's great. I mean, that's a pretty well outfitted shop too. Yeah, for for a home shop, I would say it's it's not bad. And I don't want to say for anybody that wants to start his own shop, if you if you want to look for machine, don't be in a rush. Just just get get your money ready all the time, and whenever something pops up and you want it. And it's your fit. Just go for it. Don't don't be in a rush to buy everything you see or you think you want. So all the machine I have, I bought them like over the course of like four years. I I think I started to get my first machine like two years before I bought the house, and <laughs> and, they, and they were they were stored at my day job. My boss was fine with that, and then they keep adding up. And uh, I also got a rolling saw the same as Robin Renzetti have, which is like an excellent so for the for the footprint of the machine and what it can do is just amazing and been working on making the fence and the vice almost the same way as it has so now it's pretty useful for me i even sometimes take pieces from my day job brought it home just to part them off because i can <laughs> and the regular band so like the part goes between the jaws of the vice so you cannot cut it i said that's fine i will cut it at home tonight and bring it back tomorrow that's amazing i mean the way i see it is like a win-win if i have something like like i needed to make um pins for some hinges and i was like the lathe that we have at work it's not that accurate so i will just do it on the tool room at home and then and then i take a half half a day off or a day off my day job. And I'm actually walking from home, which is funny, but walking from home to do the pieces for my day job. 
on my yeah, own machines. You might be one of the few machinists who can say that he's working from home. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Or like tomorrow, oh guys, tomorrow I'm working from home. I, I got my stocks, I got my tools, I got everything. I'm working from home tomorrow. <laughs> That's amazing. Chris, the pragmatic machinist, asks, where can he get some Danny Rudolph style refrigerator magnets? That's a good question. I think I think I know what he's referring about. And that's probably something I should make product and probably put it on website whenever I have my website. I agree. Let's see. Ethan asked, what's the craziest place you've found tiny brass chips other than your shop? Mm, good question. Is it other than anybody else? Like socks? Like uh, on on the Kiwi style, I would say on my undies? <laughs> Find it on the, on the mat? Uh, like down the shower, uh, literally like anywhere. Everywhere, yeah. yeah. I know, I'll go like reach into my pocket sometimes and be like, oh, I've got like a decent amount of chips in here. I have no idea how they got in here, but I've got a ton of chips in here. I try to empty my pockets like every once in a while, but even you get changed, you get back home and, and you ended up like taking your shirt off, whatever. And the day after you come and you step on something, it turns out to be a brass chip that must, might have felt like a few days before. So oh, yeah. Craziest place. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, probably underwear or stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get on to shop news and new things. What is new in your world? What's going on? So what is new? Uh, motherboard for the VF4SS. Brand new motherboard from Haas. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Well, I assume it wasn't under warranty, so that I'm sure it was not a cheap fix either. It wasn't. It was like almost six grand to get it Oof. replaced. And I was with the core exchange, so. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, that's rough because you turn off the machine on a Tuesday, you come back on Wednesday, you want to turn on the machine, and the machine asks you to select the language or whatever. I was like, well, what did I do? It's like, that's, that's, that's not good. Turn it off, turn it back on, and it happens again. It's like, I have no idea what happened. It was working yesterday. So you call Haas, and then they, the tech helps you to troubleshoot on the phone, and you grab your multimeter, you test things in the cabinet, and it turns out they say, oh, it might be the board. You know, that's, that thing is not cheap. Say, so yeah, yeah, you better send a tech and make sure it's, it's not the board <laughs> and turns out it was the board. Oh no. So how long did that whole thing take to get replaced? They were like super fast. And for once that I was actually not needed the machine, they actually came super fast. So <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yes. That that sounds about right. So I think they took three days to come over. The guy the guy came on thurs on Thursday. To look at it, Thursday afternoon to look at it, and he say, "I don't think we have the board in stock here in New Jersey at the HFO, so it would have to come from California. And whenever you receive it, just give us a call, and we we, we come over to install it." Turns out they had it in stock here, so we got it next day. So the guy was here on the Friday afternoon to install the board and reset everything. So, oh wow, yeah, that's that was, super quick. And because like eighteen months ago, I lost. The parameters from the machine it was almost too late when i see the battery of the control was running low that was super unfortunate i left the machine on because as long as the machine is on you're fine i left the machine on and i was waiting for the batteries to come and we had a storm one night and the power went down so i come back the next day and the machine is off and i ask around the shop who turned off the machine and nobody turned off the machine oh no 
So I pray I turn on the machine. When I turn on the machine, all the parameters were gone. But I was lucky because I did, I did a backup at that time. So after they put the machine all back up and everything, and that's the same time that we bought the four faxes. So the guy was also here to set up the four faxes. Then I did a backup. So after the motherboard went bad, we were able to put most of the parameters back on the machine, which is good. I Just have to remove all the tools from the tool changer because the position was off and just put all the tools back in and just make sure my four faxes origin is still good and should be good. Awesome. I'm glad it was relatively as as good as it could be, I guess. Yeah, I mean over over seven years we had the machine. That's the biggest that's the biggest like breakdown we had for this machine. We had like a cables to replace and stuff. Nothing, nothing critical, but that was the biggest one. And I'm like, I didn't do anything bad. That was just like, you crashed the machine and you know it's going to cost a lot. <laughs> but you turn off the machine, you come back the next day, it doesn't work anymore. I was like, ah. Yeah, that's not fun. So what else is new? Um, for the job I'm working on now, we I kind of pushed the boss a little bit to get more vices for the big manual mill, the big bed mill we have. So we ended up buying like seven vices from Charles, which doesn't have flanges on the side. So I'm able to set up all the vices side by side. And I want to say that works like pretty good because now before I only had four vices, there was six inches between the vices. But when you want a mill like a half inch square, we will slot in the center this thing chatters like crazy. So I always have to end up like holding the bar somehow to avoid all this chatter. But now I just like can put the machine on, walk away, do something else and come back 10 minutes later when the machine is at the end and I know it's perfect. So that's super cool. And uh, same thing, it wasn't cheap, but totally worth it. Yeah, I'm sure. So how much travel does that manual mill have? 47 inches. Oh, wow. That's great. And my... Vices now with one inch spacing span on like 48 inches. So the travel still stays on the vice. So my bar doesn't wobble at the end, which is pretty cool. So that's killer. Yeah. And I was saying, another thing like maybe we, we might be looking at getting a Haas TL2, like a two room lathe. I think it's a 16 by 48 inches uh, because it. Sometimes we have long bars to make, long tapers or posts of stuff like that. And this machine has a lot of travel compared to regular CNC lathe. And also the price tag is not that expensive, I want to say. Right, yeah. So that might be on the radar for some time, but sometime fixed in time. Or we need to get a job that can justify to purchase the machine, which which will be cool. But I would be happy to get a TL2. And, uh, yeah, it sounds like it'd be a really good fit for you guys. Yeah. What is funny is like anybody that has a has TL always hates something about the lathe, but none of those guys wants to sell it. Anybody <laughs> you ask, you say, oh, do you do sell? No, I'm not going to sell it. I don't use it every day, but I'm not letting it go. I was like, <laughs> okay. So it's, it's, a, it's a right fit between a manual lathe and a full CNC. Because if you want to get a full CNC with 48 inches of travel on Z, that's a pretty big lathe, so yeah, definitely. So that's that's my what might be on the radar, but I don't know. And the price of this machine used is pretty crazy. This they still top like at twenty five, twenty seven thousand dollar 
for a 10 years old machine. <laughs> so yeah, Haas keep their value so incredibly well. It's crazy. Yeah, even that's at $5,000 motherboard, they keep the value pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Anything else in the home shop? So recently on the home shop, I wanna, I'm going to put it this way. So I don't get any f- weird feedback from this. I didn't steal anything. It was, <laughs> I was asked to come and pick up an old optical comparator from Alton. So okay. for whoever is, no, you know who you are. I didn't steal it. It was given to me and I was politely asked to pick it up. So nothing says innocence, like starting a sentence with, I didn't steal it. <laughs> <laughs> and for that time, I didn't even went to the basement. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's great. Optical comparators are, are so, so useful. I mean, I, I I was so overjoyed when we picked one up last year. I wanted to get a like me tutorial one with a, a quarter check. And that was that was when I was starting the home shop. But I ended up having to replace the electrical panel in the house. So no more comparator. Everything went to the electrical panel. Yeah, I don't blame you. But this one is a vertical one. It's It's really vintage. It's pretty cool. I think it needs like a good cleaning and, uh, and probably a little zero would be good to add to this comparator. But uh, I don't know. I pick it up like last month and it's still sitting on my pallet jack in the shop. So it's, <laughs> it's not like I don't know where to put it, but I want to put it on my list at cabinet, but it's too tall. It, it won't be usable. So maybe I need to make a stand or something like that or find something else to put it on. I mean, I think you know a, a welder, a fabricator. I need to find a guy uh, who can weld. So. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it sounds like much like the TL, when you get a job in your home shop that needs it, that's when all that stuff will happen. Yeah. I still have a lot of things to build for my home shop. And everything takes time and everything is way slower than I was expecting. But I guess that's how it is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that brings me on to one of the two questions I ask every guest every week, which is, what did you research this week? So what's been popping up in your browser? So I got two browsers. I got one at work and one at home. So I'm going to start with the one at home. So it's when, when you get a house, you always get a lot of things to do, especially when you have a backyard. And it's now season for growing weeds. So <laughs> I'm in need for some mulch. So I got a look for uh, some mulch to put around the trees and everything. So I was looking if I should get black mulch, brown mulch, or red mulch. So that's kind of the fun part of owning a house. So What'd you figure out? Which any, is it really just the color, or is there different nutrients or whatever in it? Like So far, I have no real idea. I know some of them will probably degrade faster than others. I know the price is different, so I just I, I just did the math like yesterday, and I did 15 cubic yards of mulch, which is pretty much a lot. But everything everything that was around the house is now gone. It just disintegrated and just just gone. So still need to figure it out. There's just a place like around the corner from me that actually makes them here, so they can deliver for 50 bucks for a truck. So that's not bad at all. Yeah. It's not cheap, but it's way cheaper than going to buy bags at Home Depot. So. Right. Um, then what else do I have? Uh, I, was, I was looking to 
for a cart for my TIG welder because I got a brand new TIG welder just still sitting on the floor, which is not ideal. So when you have a, a home shop, every square inch matters. So I was looking at getting something that is super compact. So my, my first thought was putting it under the welding table, but turns out it's way too tall with the cooler and then it will take too much grit from grinding and everything. So that's, I just rolled out this. So I was either looking at getting a hand truck style where your machine is in the back and your gas cylinder is in the front, but that seems to not be very much space saving either. So I look at Arbor Freight, they got stuff for like $150-ish, but it turns out like Everlast has what I think will be fine for like $230. So $230 is pretty hard to beat if you have to buy the wheels and the casters and, and the steel. So, yeah. so I think we go this road and we just buy one and just just get it done. <laughs> yeah. Did you buy a Everlast welder for your home shop? Yes. Yes, I did. Do you like it so far? Uh, so what I did is I bought one from my day job, which was old. And I was so unfortunate that I was able to weld 30 minutes with it. And then it started to smoke and it burned. So I reached out to Everlast and they say, oh, you need to replace this part, this part, and this part. And it's going to cost like $400. And then I was like, okay, let's do it. And then I have to desolder and resolder a bunch of wire to change the transformer. So I did everything right. And I went to turn on the machine and the machine turns out, but not the screen. And after 10 seconds, I can see some smoke start to come out of brand new transformer. Oh, no. That's not right. So I reached out to Deb and... The technicians say pretty much, oh, you got to send it to us so we can we can see what's wrong and, and fix it. So I wasn't super happy because I was not willing to spend more money on this machine. So I said, I want to, I called like a salesman and I'd say, what can you do? Like you want to keep the machine and give me a better deal on the new machine because the new machine is what I wanted originally. And, and back in November, I already bought the cooler for that machine. So I have a brand new cooler and I have broken TIG, so it doesn't make sense. And the guys say, oh, you know what? We, What I'm going to do is basically we are going to take care of your old welder if you buy a new one. I'm like, but then what do I do with two welders? And it's like, well, you, you sell the old one and you're good. I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that. And then I ended up going this way and... Uh, my boss is buying me back the old welder will be almost <laughs> new and he will be paying for the parts. So I told him, say, in fact, you got a good deal because I fixed the welder for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I just ended up buying a new one, which fits perfectly with the cooler. So do I like the welder? Yeah, we got two, we got two at work, two bigger ones. Uh, we've had them for like seven, eight months so far. The guy likes it. I say doesn't make a difference with Lincoln or Miller. Only the price makes the difference. But and also Everlast warranted the machine for five years, which is pretty much a lot. If if you weld it every day with it, you get your money back like pretty quickly. Even if you want to change your welding machine every three years, you can still sell it and buy a new one. Right. But I gotta yeah. say they 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 are pretty good. The, the after sales is good. The salesmen are good. I have zero complaint with them. Uh, I awesome. wanted, I wanted to. I was looking at the Miller, 
but just the generator for a Miller was like nine thousand dollar. Just the generator. So I'm pretty yeah. happy. I'm pretty happy with Everlast. For for the use that I have on the home shop, it's just perfect. Okay, awesome. No, I have, Brad and I have both looked at Everlast as a possible possible option. Like we've wanted to get a TIG for yeah. the shop for years. I mean it's constantly pushed to the back burner because we're a machine shop. I mean it would be strictly just for our own projects, but yeah, we've always looked at it as a potential option. All right, it's 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 good to have. It's even for a machinist. It still have something to touch up or do something or like a rack or fixture or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anything else you've been researching? Um I've I was looking like I was glancing at error palettes after looking at Adam's machinist latest video and I found it. He mentioned that the error palette are not really expensive. So I was just quickly looking at eBay and yeah, for sure it's it's a pretty simple system and you can find new stuff for pretty cheap. So I was just curious to see if something could fit the mini meal for some kind of work that sometimes I can do and uh, just keep that in my mind, which is way cheaper than like a zero point system, like either Lang or Fifaxis, yeah. which are good. Yeah. But I mean, for the size of the mini meal, the Aurora probably makes more sense. For sure. Yeah. And shout out to Adam. If nobody's, if you haven't seen his new, not only his newest video, but any of his videos, go all, check all, them out. All of his videos, they're good. Yeah. And, and it's, his it's, latest one has like the best physical example I've seen of material stresses. Like it exactly. makes it so simple. Like I saw it and I was like, how does, how did nobody else in my whole career of learning this, have like a model like that to show stresses. Yep. And that's exactly what happened 100% with brass. It's exactly the same thing. That's why I was saying you always want to balance your cut as much as you can inside the material. But it's pretty pretty good video from Adam. Yeah. Awesome. And then, so those were all things at home you were researching? Also, um, kind of... My wife wants to go to Japan and we've been, this year we've been married for 10 years and actually we, shame on me, we never had a honeymoon. So we wanted to go to Japan but because she was still studying, she didn't have time and then we didn't have money and then we have time and then we don't have money and now, and then COVID happened and all of this. So Japan start to open up a little bit more for tourists. So as I was looking at the ticket price to probably do my 10 years, our 10 years anniversary in Japan. It's better late than never. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, that'll be great. I, I went to Japan, I think four or five years ago now, and it yeah. was fantastic. I had an absolute blast. I bet. It should be totally different than Western countries. And not that I haven't been in Asia before, but I think even Japan is definitely different than China or Vietnam. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. And then what have you been researching at work? Uh, I had a shadow bin tab open on my browser for like nine months because I need to I need to do a small tool crib that on the list I cabinet we have over there. And I still don't have time to figure it out the sizes of the books that I need and everything. So I really need to get this going soon because we will Move the second shop back to the main shop. So all the machining will be consolidated inside one building, which makes more sense because now For we sure. have the machine spread between two buildings. So it's really a pain. So I need to get this done before we actually move all the machines. Uh, so yeah, that's the way. Like put every single drill on their bin, every taps, every end mill, everything. It's, it's just like, I don't need like 
anything digital to mo- to just look at it. I just want to open the drawer and see what's in there. And if I want to do something a little bit smarter, I might just put a QR code that sends you directly to the website where you buy them. Either you buy it from MSC, from wherever you buy it, just the links get you there and you just can add it to the cart and, and that's good. That's that's what I want to do. Okay, cool. And then I have some knobs to turn. I have 300 knobs to turn on the old Grumpy Lave. So <laughs> I was last time we did, we did 150. It was fine. I didn't bar pull it. I was running the VFO on one side, running the Lave on the other side, going back and forth. But this time there's 300 to do. So I was looking at, uh, I think it's the Easy Puller, which which is the ring that grabs around the stock and just pulls your bar. So I was looking at this. Uh, we, we might get a set for, for this job so I can leave it longer stock and have at least like 20 parts running before I need to put a new a new piece of stock on the machine. So that's something. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. Okay, well, that brings me to the other question I am asking every guest, which is, what are the things you're working on to be a better person, leader, employee, whatever? You know, we're all imperfect people. What are you doing to be better? Um, I'm trying to, I want to say, let go some things. Sometimes, sometimes I like things to do to be done in the right way, and sometimes it's hard for me when I when I give a job to somebody else and it doesn't. Do it on the way that I want it to do. I'm trying to say, oh, you know, you should do this way. And I, I should like just take a step back and just let do their thing and come back when it's done. But, you know, sometimes you see the mistake is happening and, and you don't want a mistake to happen. So you want to step in. But that's, that's hard to do. But I, I don't want to say I'm perfect, but I'm trying my best to do the things right. And I get, I try to please everyone on the time frame that I tell the other guy that we get their parts done on what matters, what doesn't matter. But no, that's a really tough one. Like it, it's, yeah. it's a tough balance between trying to get the job done correctly, but allowing learning. Because if you intervene too much, then nobody's ever going to learn. And then, you know, you're basically stuck exactly where you are now <laughs> yeah or just 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 one guy has something to do it has three tasks to do you say you need to do a b c in that order because you say this machine this this job will run on the lathe while this is running on the mill and and the guys just start to set up the mill do nothing and and then and then the lathe is not running and so that's i mean that's all it is and i just need to let those things go a little bit because they get the best of you and uh, and you tend to get upset for what well, i want to say almost not no reason but uh, just let it go and uh, yeah another sure. thing that i'm trying to do and i should do more is try to spend less time on the phone because i guess that happens to everybody but you know sometimes it's hard and and now like we all have like business happening on the phone like even like we have like slack we have a quickbooks hour for the jobs and you get start to get message and stuff like that and then and then oh there's a dm on my instagram oh, let me look at it and i was like oh there's something and then that that goes on and on so trying to do that a little bit less also that way makes me a better person yeah no i i think like you said we can all Take that lesson to heart for sure. Yeah. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Real quick again, where can people find you online? On Instagram, Tom Machinist. 
for uh, my regular page and for my business is P3 Tech. And that's it. And awesome. um, I will start building a website for my business sometimes this year. That takes time too. So <laughs> Yeah. I mean it seems like you're getting enough business where you're happy, you know, currently. And so that's that's not too bad. I, I don't complain. So Yeah. Well again, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you to all the Patreon members who make the show possible. Special thanks to new Patreon member Ryan. And thank you all for listening. I will be back next week.